Hi, everybody. It's John Dickerson. Welcome or welcome back to the Connection Point podcast. At the end of this episode, I'd encourage you to take a moment and check out cp.news on your web browser. Connection Point is a church that is fully online, and you can follow Jesus one day at a time from anywhere in the world with us. Well, I pray this message inspires you and challenges you today to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. To God be the glory. He's really doing a once-in-a-lifetime work through all of you through this movement. I'm so grateful that I get to be part of it, that I get to follow Jesus with you. If you're a guest with us today over in Avon or online or here in Brownsburg, we're just thrilled that you're seeking God today. We believe uh, his promise in the Bible. He says, if you seek me, you will find me if you search with all your heart. So I cannot encourage you enough. Keep seeking God. He sees you today. He cares about what you're going through. He has a plan for your life. Well, we're in this series called Bright Side. And uh, on the surface, it sounds like learning how to be an optimist. And if you don't believe in God yet, that's a good way to summarize it. But as followers of Jesus, we're learning how to have an overcoming view of life, not just as an exercise in self-help or optimism, but really as a spiritual way of life. Because Jesus thought differently. We as followers of Jesus learn one day, one season at a time to think differently for our better. Now, I want to start with an old phrase that we've all heard, sticks and stones may break my, home, my bones, but words will never, not true, is it? Uh, in fact, I would guess that, that probably every single one of us, we could actually raise our hands to do a little survey here. Every one of us probably can think of a time in our childhood or our teenage years when someone, a teacher, an uncle, a sibling, said something and it cut us so deeply that to this day, decades later, for some of you very long later, and for some of you it's been a few months later, you still remember it. Raise your hand if you can think of one of those times when someone said something about you and it just stuck with you. It kind of defined you. Uh, I've shared with you guys in the past, if you're a regular here, that uh, I was a total nerd growing up, just this lanky, Midwest, out-of-style kid, youngest of four boys. And I look at teenagers today, and they all seem so cool and so put together. I'm glad I was born back in 1982. I don't think I could make it as a teenager these days. And, um, you know, I, I, I grew up in a family where I can't remember, and, and by the way, I want to say this, my parents, they were loving, they did their very best, but I can't remember a time in my whole 17 years that I lived in that house, there was never a conversation on the positive side of, John, you're really good at this, or John, you could go do great things. That just wasn't the way they were raised, and it wasn't the way they raised us. Any hint of feeling like you're good at something was kind of inappropriate because it was proud and you might get a big head. Did anyone grow up in a family kind of like that? Maybe your parents are by you and you don't want to raise your hand. <laughs> Anyhow, that, that's how I grew up. And, and just like every one of us, things that we lack in our upbringing, we become very thirsty for. And so I was looking all around, where's my significance? Where's my value? Where will I find affirmation? And if you're a parent or a grandparent today, 
All these beautiful kiddos that we saw up here and at Avon, they're gonna grow up hungry for the same thing. Where do I find my affirmation? Where am I accepted? Where am I loved? For whatever reason, I didn't sense that from my family. I was this kind of introspective, nerdy guy, and I loved to write, and I loved art, and I loved drawing. And I kind of had this dream that maybe I could be a really good writer. And uh, maybe, uh, maybe I could publish a book that would like really change people and affect the world. And in fact, I even wrote out this dream when I was 17 that by age 30, I want to publish my first book and I want to see it really affect people. Well, I was not a great student academically. I mostly lived below sea level, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Had a lot of Ds. Uh, some of you have never lived on that side of the tracks academically, so let me explain. A D is right just above an F, which stands for failure. You're a failure. So that's where I lived, mostly because I didn't really do my homework and stuff, and I was just an undisciplined kid. But my senior year of high school in English class, we had this huge semester-long writing project, a big old research paper. And it was something that I just enjoyed doing, and I found myself really getting into it, and I gave it everything I had. And for the first time in my life, I was like proofreading, I was going back over, and I felt so good about this paper. I was so excited about all the research I'd done and how I'd put it all together. And I handed it into my English teacher knowing it was like 70% of our grade. This paper was like, you know, the semester project. And it took her about a week to read them all. And then in class, she handed them out one day. This was back when everything was physical paper. And, and you'd sit, at, you know, I was sat in the back of the class and the paper gets passed back. And as my paper is coming to me, I just can't wait to scan the top to see, I bet I got an A because I really tried harder than I've ever tried before. And the paper got to me and my eyes looked at it and it said, D minus. And what went through my head as a 17 year old was all these self-defeating thoughts. What were you thinking? Who do you think you are? No one's ever said you're any good at writing. Why would you think you're any good at writing? And as the class ended, those were the thoughts going through my head. And I was just kind of sulking out of the room when the teacher said, hey, John, will will you stay behind and, and, and chat with me? Oh, great. Here we go again. I was used to staying behind and talking to the teachers for getting in trouble. She said, John, take a seat. I want to explain something to you. She said, we have a really strict grading rubric or whatever here. Every run-on sentence, fragment, anything like that is a half a letter grade. And so your D minus is because of grammatical things and I'm kind of bound as a teacher, I can't change that. She said, but John, I I wanna tell you something. What? She said, I think you're actually a really good writer. She said, I've been teaching students for a long time and I don't know that I've ever seen a student have quite as much of a grasp on ideas and how to convey them and how to communicate. And she said, despite the grade, I would really encourage you to think about going to college and think about pursuing a career as a writer. Well, that is a conversation that literally changed the course of my life because I did go to college, started as a creative writing major, learned that you cannot make money selling poetry. 
So I switched to journalism news writing and found this little niche of what's called creative nonfiction, where you write very long, true stories. You write it as if it's a novel, but you gather all the facts, kind of like historic fiction is, or biographies are, and found this niche. Graduated early from college, started getting A's and being motivated. At age 23, I was writing those kind of stories in Arizona, and they kept winning awards. And at age 23, in a room of about 300 news professionals, uh, they brought me up front and awarded me Arizona Journalist Writer of the Year at age 23. Uh, Four years after that, I was in New York City at the Yale Club in Manhattan, seated with the editors from the New York Times, NPR, the Chicago Tribune, ABC News, And get this, it was 10 years to the month from when my English teacher told me that even though I got D's, I could be a good writer, that they awarded me journalists nationwide, and then I quit it all to become a pastor. So, (laughs) but my point is this, I actually then did write a book at age 30 about churches and about the church, and God has used it to help tens of thousands of people. And my point is this, none of that would have happened without that one conversation from that one teacher. And so in our time today, I want us to be thinking both of receiving words like that from God, our perfect father. We all have imperfect human fathers and mothers, but we all have a perfect father in heaven. And you can learn to receive affirmation like that that genuinely opens up options that you never even thought of in life. And as we become recipients of that kind of affirming love about our value and our identity and our worth, we then can learn as parents and grandparents to give genuine affirmation to our kids, our grandkids, the kids in our movement, so that as they grow up thirsting to see where will I be accepted, where will I be celebrated, where will I be loved, that the obvious answer to them is in the church, in the body of Christ. I don't need to go to some other group I get that in my family and in my church body. Uh, Last week, we kind of learned this big idea. When you change your outlook, you change your outcome. And I get passionate about this because as I just explained in that story from my age 17 to age 27, that one conversation changed my outlook. If, If that teacher hadn't brought me to the front and said, you actually could be a good writer, I would not have gone after it. Who knows what I'd be doing right now in my life. That one change of outlook changed my outcome for the next 10 years. And we learned last week that where you are facing a dead end in your life, you feel like your marriage is hopeless, or you feel like your career is hopeless, or your finances are hopeless. Maybe you, you, you lack self-worth. You've made so many mistakes and you carry so much shame that you feel like you yourself are hopeless that God has a desire to do, Ephesians 3.20, immeasurably more than you can ask or imagine. But the way that you get on that path is by surrendering your thoughts to him and saying, God, where my life is broken, where my life is at a dead end, I wanna learn to think the way that you think. Now, uh, I've thought in life, you know, there are these moments, kind of like the one I had with my English teacher, that was a 10-year story, But in most two-hour movies where someone has to overcome some difficulty like Rocky or like the Hoosiers or the football movie Rudy about Notre Dame, 
Whenever we have to overcome something, there are these key moments if we do overcome where someone or something opens our eyes and we realize, I can actually do this. And for me, that's my favorite part in most of those movies where the hero's getting beat up and (laughs) dragged down and the hero's about to quit. And someone, you know, a spouse or a coach or someone lets them know that they can do this and it changes their outlook and then they go and they conquer the thing. Here's an idea. What if you could have that kind of coach with you in your life every day of the week? What if you could learn by memorizing the promises of God and learning to be in touch with the presence of the Spirit of God, what if you could give yourself an inspiring halftime speech every time you get discouraged, every time you get unmotivated? Because here's the thing, I explained last week, I get really passionate about this material because my natural disposition is very melancholy, very uh, just pessimistic, focus on the negative. And it was as a follower of Jesus, learning these principles, inviting God to shape not just little parts of my life, but to reshape my entire way of thinking, it has changed me into a spiritual optimist, not because of my human nature, not because of my family of origin, but because we have a God who can do anything and he wants to do great things through us. Philippians 4 Paul, the apostle's writing, and he says this, I've learned the secret, and he's going to explain to being content in good situations and bad situations, but let's put this in the context of your life. Paul's pretty much saying, when everything goes terrible, I've learned how to keep my faith, stay positive in God, and be satisfied with what I have. And when everything goes great, I've learned how to not go off the rails and spend it all or, you know, uh, turn away from God. I've learned. But what I want to focus on today is actually grammar. Ironically, my, my English teacher would be proud. This verb, Paul says, I have learned, means that it was a process. And we're going to see it's a process that took years because as Paul writes this book of the Bible, Philippians, he's writing it from a prison, He's been wrongfully arrested, wrongfully imprisoned. And you can just imagine in the ancient Near East, there's no air conditioning, (laughs) there's no faucets. Life's pretty brutal wherever you live. And so a prison is even worse. And Paul is, we know from some other letters, physically chained to guards who stay with him 24 seven because he's such a high priority prisoner. And yet he's writing from prison This letter to the church at Philippi, and do you know what the theme is? Joy. If you study this short letter, you'll find 16 occurrences of the word joy and the theme joy. So Paul's writing to people who are free and like us get discouraged about their lives. He's writing with shackles on his wrist and he's saying, hey, you can be joyful. I'm joyful. And having joy in this kind of circumstance is something I have learned over the course of years. Here's the big idea today. Living with an overcomer's outlook. Paul had an overcomer's outlook even when he was in a prison cell. It is a learned behavior. Now, like many truths in the Bible, this is a truth that even a non-believer can apply and see some 
change in their life. You know, the Bible gives you financial principles like don't spend more than you make and don't take out debt that you can't repay. People don't have to believe in God to apply that principle and see their finances improve. And in the same way, people can start to improve their outlook on life. It's a learned behavior, even if they don't yet believe in God. But here's the advantage. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have the very spirit of God living inside you to help you with this. And you've got this giant book we call the Bible. It's a giant love letter from your creator. And it's full of true things about you like this. God created you from eternity past for a reason. You're made in the image of God. You're valuable. There's a purpose for your life. God has great things for you to do in the world. And as you read the promises of God and you invite the spirit of God to help you, you can retrain your brain and your spirit to be supernaturally optimistic in a way that is not empty optimism, but is awareness that God is always at work and he's always got a good plan. And even when Satan and evil people throw evil things at us that cause pain, he's a God who's a redeemer and he'll always turn it for good if we'll surrender it to him. And you start to live with those promises and it starts to change your outlook on life. I wonder right now, just between you and God, where is it that you're stuck or frustrated? Where is it that you feel like quitting in your life? And I wanna encourage you as we go through this message, that is exactly the place where there's pain in your life is exactly the place to start inviting God to reshape your thinking. Invite him to reshape your assumptions. Because what I've learned in this process, which for me has now been going on about 10 years of really saying, God, reshape my thinking, is that it's not just the problems I'm dealing with. I've got these deeper things in my life my self-view, my identity, your worth. Where does your worth come from? Where does your acceptance come from? Where does your provision come from, your security? And as you say, Heavenly Father, I wanna learn to think like you about all these needs that I have. It starts to change you. Here's the prayer that we started last week. And in a moment, I'll invite you to declare it out loud with me if you believe it, if you're praying it to God. It's okay if you're not there yet. But if you are over in Avon and here in Brownsburg, as well as online, even if you're watching this all alone, you're part of our church family, okay? I'm gonna count to three. And if you mean it, say it out loud with me, okay? Here we go. One, two, three. Yes, God, I do want the mind of Christ. We saw last week, Jesus lived the unique, remarkable, one-of-a-kind life that he lived because of the way he thought. That's documented in the Gospels. It's documented in Philippians chapter 2. And I want to encourage you, invite God to start giving you the mind of Christ, especially where you're stuck, especially where there's pain in your life. Last week, we looked at Romans 12, and it says this, Do not conform, followers of Jesus, to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Followers of Jesus are to think differently. We have different priorities, different values, different assumptions than the people around us who don't know Christ or don't know the word of God. And it's then, after you've invited God to change your way of thinking and you've continued on this process over years, that you start to be able to discern or test 
and realize, oh, this is God's path for me, God's will for me, God's best life versus the worst life I could live. The difference between the two is my thinking. And the only way to get to my best life possible is this verse to say, God, transform my thinking. Show me how to be the kind of husband that I could never be on my own. Show me how to be the kind of servant of others that I could never be on my own. Show me how to genuinely love others. Lord, when I'm in conflict, show me how to to love the person who's upset with me, but not be in need of their approval because I've got your approval. And as long as I've got your approval, I'm okay. This starts to change the way you interact with your world and in your workplace and in your family, all for the better. You know, Paul wrote Romans 12 in the year 57 AD, 57 years after Jesus was born. And you can see him almost foreshadowing. He says, here's how the Christian life is lived out between your ears and behind your eyes, in your mind. And in scripture, your mind, it overlaps with your heart. It's kind of the intersection of your thoughts, your spirit, your soul. It's both emotional and cognitive, as well as spiritual and eternal. So what we're talking about today involves your brain, but it's more than just your brain. And Paul says, if you really want to see God change you, you really want to see Uh, patterns that you inherited be broken in your life so that your kids live a better life. You really want to see improvement, then you've got to start allowing God to transform your thinking. Well, it's four years later that Paul's writing from a prison in Rome. And that's where we started today in Philippians 4, where Paul says, I have learned. This is in the year 61 AD. So in four years, He goes from free and seeing lives change. He's seeing miracles happen. And he's saying, guys, trust me, if you let God change your thinking, it's gonna open opportunities. You're gonna see God do things. Four years later, well, Paul, how did that work out for you? You're now in prison. Well, Paul never said, and God never says, that if you let God change your thinking, your circumstances will always be good. God never says that. Bible never says that, at least in this life. Once you get to heaven, they will be, okay? But in this life, you will have trouble, Jesus said. And then what did he say? But take heart, I have overcome the world. In this world, you'll have trouble. But don't worry, I'll enable you to live above the trouble. Now, Paul, he's in prison, and that does not contradict what he claimed in Romans 12. It actually proves his point. Because he has now mastered what you and I can also learn through the power of the Spirit and the Word of God, and that is that our attitude, our outlook, is not shaped by our circumstances. It's shaped by our God and our faith. And we actually have the capacity to be in a prison of pain or a prison of cancer or a prison of divorce that you don't want but your spouse is dead set on or a prison of a wayward child or a prison of depression, and within it have an outlook that defies reality and be able after years of practice in the word of God with the spirit of God to say, I've actually learned how to be content as my body's wasting away. I've learned how to be content. There's an empty chair at the table and I've learned how to be content in this situation. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. When I'm well-fed, I'm content. When I'm hungry, I'm content. When I'm living in plenty or in want. Few points for you. Living with an overcomer's outlook, we saw it's a learned behavior. 
And I wanna encourage you, if you'll invest the time, this is one of those spiritual maturity things. When you receive Jesus as your savior, you're automatically adopted into the family of God. Your place in heaven does not depend on your performance, it's on Jesus. There are a lot of things that automatically happen. But then for however many years God gives you here on planet earth, from the moment you believe till you get called home to heaven, there is a choice that you have to decide, am I gonna apply myself to live my best life or not? Here's a really just maybe tangible example. My senior year of high school, that English teacher, when she said, John, you could go be a great writer, I could have walked out of the class and said, yeah, maybe. But I applied myself. And there are things as a believer that you will only experience if you choose to deny yourself, follow Jesus, take up your cross daily, and let him make you into someone you could never be on your own. You've got to invest time and energy to do that. Why does this matter for you? Why should you invest the time and energy? Well, if you don't, you're going to end up just getting the same results that you're already getting in your relationships or in your finances or wherever there's a dead end in your life. Every believer who makes an effort at this has the promise of the Holy Spirit and the promises of scripture and the body of believers around you to help you learn to live a new life. Here's a summary of what we're learning today an Overcomer's Outlook. You might wanna snap a picture of it because I'm not gonna camp on this for too long, but you're gonna be a person who is pursuing the mind of Christ. You're gonna be a person who's submitted to the word of God. So when the word of God speaks clearly about an issue, moral or spiritual or otherwise, then you already know what you believe on that issue. You're gonna be a person who's inviting the Holy Spirit to control your thinking. Sounds scary, right? But it's for your good. And you're gonna be a person who has some spiritual coaches, pastors, people in the church who maybe are a little further ahead of you in parenting or some other area, as well as spiritual teammates, people who are on the journey with you. I'll give you kind of an application example of this. Last week I shared that about 10 years ago when I was 30, uh, 31, I had written my first book, it had become a bestseller, the first church we had pastored had grown, and I hit this wall of my capacity. And I went through a season of deep discouragement and depression. Everything I had prayed for had happened. I had a beautiful wife, our firstborn Jack was super healthy, the church had grown, the book was affecting people, and I was in the deepest depression of my life. I just had hit a wall of my capacity. And I shared last week with you all that I was operating out of assumptions that I didn't even know I had. My grid, my lens for viewing life had taken me as far as it could possibly go. And the book that we're studying in this series called The Winning Attitude, I found that book, I started reading that book, it started changing the way I think, and it's been a 10-year process for me of God remodeling my thinking. I've still got a long ways to go, but there are things that used to make me panic that now I'm like, yep, whatever, God's got it. Not because I'm an easygoing personality. God has literally changed my way of thinking. One example of that is relational conflict. So when I was in the news industry writing, there would be conflict, but it was always like at a distance, you know, it was over a keyboard. 
Every once in a while, someone would say they were going to sue you, but you had a huge news organization with lawyers that would take care of it, you know? Well, then I became a pastor, and all these people had opinions. (laughs) I mean, I started with a church of 40 people, but there might as well have been 40,000 opinions. They were used to voting on everything, you know? Do we turn the lights on at this point or that point? Do we, I mean, everything was a vote. And I had to lead them through actually trusting me and the elders. And in that process, as we grew from 40 to 200, there was so much conflict. And I grew up in a family where we just didn't have conflict. If conflict started to happen, you just went to other ends of the house or you left the house. We just didn't do. That was just a thing we don't do. And I had to learn because what would happen is, especially because I was in my 20s and I had father wounds, there'd be these older guys who were like the age of my dad and they'd get upset with me and it would keep me up at night. And it took me about two years to realize, oh, that's because I want their approval. And really all I need is God's approval. That doesn't mean I should be reckless and callous and careless. I should love them with a deep, unconditional love, but I don't need their approval. I have the approval of my father in heaven. That one took me two or three years. And that's one of dozens of foundational pieces that have changed the way I view life. And what I'm uh, challenging you, inviting you in this series is start the journey of saying, God, I don't even know all the broken things under the surface in my mind, soul, and heart, but I just invite you into all of them. I don't even realize where I'm working so hard to make the money because I don't believe you're gonna provide. I'm, I, I am all caught up in this conflict with some little family and some little thing from my kid's school, and it's like defining my life. Why is this such a big deal to me? There's something underneath there. There's something underneath there. And you invite God to change all of it. God can change your outlook one day at a time. Proverbs 4 says this, above everything else, top priority in life, guard your heart. What is your heart in scripture? It is the intersection of your emotions, your thoughts, your spirit, your soul. Why does God say guard your thoughts above everything else? Because everything else you do flows out of it. You will spend on what you believe will make you happy. You'll treat your spouse the way you believe will get you the best results. Your beliefs, what you choose to believe are everything. So guard them, learn to filter them through scripture. Hebrews 4 says this, the word of God, this book, the Bible is alive and active. These are not dead words. These are spiritually alive words and they have the power to penetrate into the joints and marrows of your soul, into the very intersection of your spirit and your soul. And the word of God, if you'll use it as a filter in your life, will judge in a good way your thoughts and the attitudes of your heart. This is a gift. It might sound painful, but this is a gift. What God's saying is, I'm telling you to guard your heart. I'm telling you to transform your life by transforming your thinking. I haven't given you an impossible assignment. I've given you a resource and I've given you a resource in the people and I've given you a resource in my spirit. I've been using mostly in this message, the word outlook for how we view the world. But there was a really popular word for this back in the eighties and nineties. And that was the word attitude. I mean, if you were a teenager pre about 2005, you heard the word attitude a lot and you never we're told that you had a good one. <laughs> Do you know the word attitude is actually used in aviation? 
and it describes the relationship of the plane to the planet. You know, so from an aviation perspective, the earth isn't moving. It's pretty much stable, but the plane is changing in relationship to the earth and that is its attitude. In fact, planes have an instrument called the attitude indicator. And it shows if the plane's going down or if it's going up or if it's tilted to the side. So I explained last week that when I was in this kind of depression at age 30 or 31, where I had hit all these life goals and I just felt like I could not keep going, I went into a Goodwill thrift store and I saw this book called The Winning Attitude. And I thought that is the corniest, cheesiest 1980s title. But something in me, probably the Spirit of God, prompted me to open it up. Bought that book for, I think, less than a dollar. If I had to buy that book today, I would spend all my savings on it. It has so changed my life. And this book has not been the only book that's changed my thinking. Primarily, it's been the Bible. But this book was a breakthrough for me because I am naturally such a pessimistic, negative, closed-minded thinker. And this book really helped me understand scripture in a way that changed my thinking. I'm going to share with you just a little bit from the book today. The author, John Maxwell, tells this story of leading a conference in South Carolina, and he tried this experiment. We can try it here. Here's the question that he asked the group. He said, what word describes what will determine your happiness, your acceptance, your peace, and your success? And people in the audience started to, you know, shout out the normal answers. Your job will determine those things. Your education will determine those things. How much money you have, how much free time you have. And then finally, someone said the answer he's looking for, which is your attitude. I mean, think about it. That's exactly what we saw with Paul writing a letter from a prison cell saying, I'm full of joy. I've learned to be content in any situation you could have the money, the job, all the things you dream of and not be happy if you don't have the right outlook or attitude. Or on the flip side, you could have pretty crummy circumstances and have deep contentment and joy with the right attitude or outlook and especially as followers of Jesus. Maxwell tells this little parable of two buckets. Two buckets that each served the same job at a well People would fill the bucket with water from the well and they would take it somewhere else and dump the water out, come back. One bucket was a pessimist and it said, there's never been a life as disappointing as mine. I never come away from the well full, but before you know it, I'm empty again. The other bucket, an optimist said, there's never been a life as happy as mine. Anytime I get empty, I get brought right back to the well to be filled up full again. Exact same circumstances, just a different outlook. I love this story he writes in his book. It's kind of silly, but it's about a grandma and a grandpa who visit their grandkids. And the grandpa takes a nap every afternoon. He's got a big old mustache. And so the kids decide one day to take some really smelly cheese and play a prank on their grandpa and put some of this smelly cheese in his mustache. So after a little while, he wakes up. What is that smell? He goes into the kitchen it smells in here too. I'm going to go outside and get some fresh air. He goes outside only to discover that it also smells terrible outside. And John Maxwell makes this point. He says how true it is to life when you carry smelly cheese in your attitude, the whole world smells bad. 
One of the valid ways to test your attitude is to answer this question, do you feel like the world is treating you well? If your attitude toward the world is excellent, you tend to receive excellent results. Try this for a day. Go around smiling at everyone, even if you're not a smiler, and you'll discover a bunch of people are smiling back at you. Go around sulking at everyone, and you'll be like, why is everyone so upset? It's interesting how, how this works. Look around you, analyze the conversations of people who lead unhappy, unfulfilled lives. You'll find that they're constantly crying out about how things went wrong for them, how they're the victim, how society's falling apart, everything's trouble, everything's misery and bad luck. Sometimes the prison of discontent has been built by their own hands. Sadly, the world at large, it doesn't care if you're living in a prison of small, negative, down thinking, the, the world at large doesn't care. <laughs> it's not gonna break you out of that. The only change can come from you choosing to say, God, I want you to change my outlook especially if you're a parent or a grandparent. This is so important to do, not just for you, but for your kids, because they're going to pick it up. You see this every weekend if your kids play sports. The dads who yell at the refs have kids who yell at the refs. The dads who really discourage the kids and tell them how bad they are, their kids go and do that. And the dads who, or moms, who say, oh, you're doing such a great job, you're working so hard, their kids tend to talk that way too. The apostle Paul had a terrible background to overcome. We think of him as one of the great heroes of the Bible, but Paul was there uh, as part of the murder of Christians. Early in the church, Paul was religious, but not Christian, and he was a zealot. He thought the Christians were in error, and he was actually part of a group that was killing and imprisoning Christians. So can you imagine the shame he felt once Jesus appears to him opens his eyes and he realizes Jesus is the Messiah. The very people I've been persecuting are the sincere followers of God. Paul could have lived the rest of his life under that shame. He writes in one of his letters in the Bible that he's, quote, the chief of sinners. No one has sinned worse than me, Paul says. And yet after his conversion to Christ, he didn't live under the shame of his past. Here's what he writes in Philippians 3, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. Now, just think about this. Think about the mental choice that is implied in this verse. Forgetting, in other words, he's saying, I am willfully choosing when my mind reminds me, oh, Paul, you're so evil. You did all these terrible things. I go to the promises of God and I don't dwell there. And instead, I choose to obsess about what does God have ahead? You could almost, uh, for some of you, forgetting what's behind, that just hits you, you know, square on. You're like, that is me. I've got some rough stuff in my past. Others of you, you could almost substitute for the word behind what's negative. Forgetting what, you know, for me, it wasn't that I had this big shameful past. It was that I can't deal with conflict. I can't handle this. I, I'm just not cut out for this. I'm not good enough at this. And I could obsess on that or I could choose to say, no, what does God say about that? And I'm gonna replace, as some people say, my stinking thinking with the promises of God in that area, which is what straining toward what ahead, what is ahead is all about. And then Paul continues. He says, I press on toward the goal. I've got a goal in life. 
It's to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Yes, I'm saved by grace through faith, not based on my performance, but now that I'm saved, realizing what Jesus paid, I wanna live my maximum Christian life for the glory of God, knowing that when I see him at the end of my life, there will be a reward for seeking first his kingdom. You know, the Bible implies and even declares that you alone are responsible for your outlook on life. You can't blame your negative outlook on your spouse, as terrible as they are. You can't blame it on your parents. Galatians 6 says, as a person sows or plants, so they will reap or harvest. You plant negative thoughts, you're gonna get negative results. And you can blame the world around you for the rest of your life, but your life's just gonna keep going down if you're on that path. I'm telling you guys, this series, I'm so passionate. It's from a heart of love. Like, I want better for you. I want better for you. Maxwell writes this, it would be impossible to estimate the number of jobs which have been lost, the number of promotions missed, the number of sales not made, and the number of marriages ruined by poor attitudes. But almost daily, we witness jobs that are held but hated and marriages that are tolerated but unhappy, all because people are waiting for others or for the world to change instead of realizing that they are responsible for their behavior. God is sufficient to give you the desire to change, but the choice to actually change your outlook is up to you. It's impossible. Think about this, this next paragraph. This is, this is irrefutably true. It is impossible for you to tailor make every situation in your life to be perfect for you. But it is possible to tailor make your attitude or your outlook to fit any situation. It's exactly what Paul the apostle did. Let's look at Philippians 4 verse 4. Paul writing from prison says, rejoice in the Lord. <laughs> I'll say it again, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, even if you're in a prison cell. Back to our theme verse for the day, verse 12. I know what it is to be in need, Paul says. I know what it is to have plenty, but I have learned. So if in this series you're like, John, I want this, but I'm discouraged. I've got such a long ways to go. Oh, I am right there with you, brother or sister. Don't be discouraged if you feel you've got a long way to go. Actually be encouraged because it means you're being honest about how much you need this. And that's a step a lot of people won't even take. Paul learned this over years. He learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. The ability to tailor make his attitude or outlook to his situation was a learned behavior. And it's really the culmination of this that we get a very popular verse, verse 13, where Paul says, I can do all this through Christ who gives me strength. Now, some translations take the, ver the word this and say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I don't have a problem with that translation. It's a Greek word that you could translate it a few different ways that are all accurate. But my belief when you read Philippians 4 as a whole and not just rip this verse out to be alone is Paul is really saying this overcomer's outlook that I have learned over the course of years is something that I was able to do because the resurrection power of Jesus is in me to change not only my eternal destiny, but the way that I see every circumstance and every problem and every person 
every single moment of every day. It's the power of Christ in me that has changed my attitude. Christ can help you today. He can help you grow an outlook that changes your options, that leads you to outcomes that you never would have imagined. Things that you never would have imagined that God wants to do in you and through you. All right, we're getting to the end here. I'm gonna give you one more chance to declare aloud with me. This is a variation on what we said before. It's just a little more meat on the bones. I'll read it, but as I do, I just want you to really unearth in your life right now the broken things, the dead end things, the things that frustrate you, and you're gonna be inviting God. Uh, I'll read it and then we'll read it together. You're gonna say, I do wanna learn to take every thought captive to your way of thinking. We saw this last week in 2 Corinthians 5 that uh, we have thought patterns, which scripture calls strongholds, that we need to invite God to break those down. You can have a demonic stronghold in your thinking without being demon-possessed. Does that make sense? When Jesus is tempted in the wilderness for 40 days, Satan literally speaks to Jesus. So sometimes you will hear things just like Eve did in the Garden of Eden and they're demonic in nature. If you hear something that says, you're not of value, you shouldn't try. You can never do it right. Who do you think you are? Those are often demonic in nature. God says you're infinitely valuable. He says you're worth dying for. He says you're worth living for. He says you're his son or daughter, you're his deeply beloved, that you're created for a purpose. And so when we say, God, I wanna take every thought captive to you, what we're saying is, God, there's areas where maybe I've got limitations on how I view my spouse. My spouse is a follower of Jesus, but I've concluded they're never gonna change. They're never gonna get over this. I could never overcome this unforgiveness. Those are demonic thoughts because God can change them and he can give you forgiveness. If Jesus could forgive the people on the cross and say, Father, forgive them, they know not what they're doing, you can forgive your spouse, okay? So wherever there's pain in your life, if you mean it, declare it aloud with me on the count of three, this prayer. One, two, three. Lord, I do want to learn to take every thought captive to your way of thinking. Now, as we close, I just wanna be super practical Again, parents, grandparents, I cannot overemphasize how this can change your kids for the better. They can grow up having healthy humility, yes, but also having a really healthy sense of what they're good at and that God's got great plans for them. That's why we talk as a church about our sons and daughters. They're gonna be the Christ-centered leaders of Indiana. They already are in their schools. And in 30 years, they're gonna be passing laws and teaching college courses and running businesses, raising kids, and they're gonna be great at it because God has designed them for it. And we're gonna raise them in an affirming way that lets them know they're always loved here and they're always valuable here. And parents and grandparents, what we're learning in this series, it's so important, not only for us, but for the people we love. I wanna give you just a reminder of these tools. Here's the book, The Winning Attitude. My recommendation is the audio version. We've got the physical version here as well. I said this last week, but when I talk about it, it's taken me 10 years to get to this point in changing my thinking. Every time I sense my nose going down in attitude and I start to get pessimistic, I start to get discouraged, I turn this audiobook on. I'll start going for drives or walks or skip a TV show 
and just listen through it. Sometimes I have to listen to it two or three times, but inevitably as I keep praying and saying, God, lift my eyes to you, show me your promises, reading scripture as you do, my nose will just slowly start to lift. And then it gets so high up that people are like, John, slow down. God's not that big. Yeah, he is. We bookmarked this series. If you wanna take a picture of this, this is something that'll live on our website for years to come so that if you need some additional resources, when your nose gets down, that's the time to use, and God will bring you other resources. There's two or three other books in my life in that season. I'll do series on them down the road, but find the resources that, that patch up what's broken in you and just make it a way of life. Okay, whenever I start to get depressed, discouraged, negative, pessimistic, I'm gonna renew my mind in those truths of scripture. Commit to be here every weekend with a family where you've got encouraging teammates and coaches around you. And I'll close with this thought. I want you to be encouraged today. It might look like a steep mountain to climb, but be encouraged with God's help. You absolutely can change your outcomes in life by changing your outlook through the power of Christ with a life that's surrendered to Christ. Let me pray that for you right now. Father, oh Lord, I love your people. I know you love them more than I ever could. And I just want your very, very best. Every person sitting in Avon right now, every person here in Brownsburg and online, Lord, I want your best. The enemy comes to kill and steal and destroy. And Lord, he kills so much in our lives by attacking our thoughts. Lord, your word instructs us to have a humility that there are strongholds in each of our lives from the way we were raised from this broken world. We have limited thinking that's holding us back from your best. So we just invite you, Lord, to demolish those strongholds. We wanna have the mind of Christ in our marriages. We wanna have the mind of Christ in our finances, in our careers, in our self-worth, in our identity, in our purpose, in our parenting, in our grandparenting. Lord, for every student, for every young person deciding on career, for everyone who's dating and seeking a mate and a spouse, God, give them the mind of Christ, give them your motives, give them your value. May we be living every day not to meet an unmet need in us, but from the overflow of you meeting our needs. God, these are things we cannot do apart from you. So we call out to your spirit to empower us and we look to your word to guide us. And Jesus, continue to be the head of our lives. We pray in your name, amen. Well, if today's episode encouraged you or helped you in any way, we would invite you to keep following Jesus with us. We send out a daily video text devotional. You can receive that and you can learn how to gather with us online or in person for our weekend services. All of that is available over at cp.news. That's the letter C, the letter P.news on your phone or desktop or tablet browser. Thanks again for joining us and please join me again next week for the Connection Point Podcast.